Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. They start mocking him, and I love his response. He just says, okay, you guys outside. That's just a, a great response. He's not like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to function in this environment. No, he just says, okay, you guys, you just don't belong in here. So he put him outside, took her by the hand, and called saying, little girl, arise. His touch, his word, and the little girl rose from the dead. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Hope for Hopeless Cases. We're in Luke chapter eight, and we're gonna pick up in verse 28 today. And we're gonna start by looking at Jesus healing a demon-possessed man, and when he brings a young girl back to life. So let's listen in. We, we read that Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, verse 28, he fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, there's no doubt it's the demon speaking through the man. How do we know that? It's so clear. No one, no disciple or no one else up to this point has recognized who Jesus is. But the demons know who he is, why? They were made by him and for him, just like we were. Colossians says, all things were made by him and for him and in him all things consist. So the demons recognize Jesus and, and note the testimony. They, they say, what do we have to do with you, Jesus? They know his name and then they know he's the son of the most high God. Now the disciples are going to get this. It's going to take a while. We're not yet to the point where Peter recognizes Jesus. But when that happens, he'll say, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And apparently, even though they heard the testimony of the demons, they didn't put it together that it was true that Jesus was and is the son of the living God. Now, the demon here begs, and it's the first of three times the demon or the demons will beg, but it's first of five times the word beg is used in the rest of this chapter. He says, I beg you, do not torment me. And I find this ironic. What was the demon and the, what were the demons doing? They were tormenting the man and they're like, oh, don't torment us. Don't give us what we're giving them. Oh, grace, grace, no, not gonna happen. Well, he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. It often seized him. And when he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Now, again, it's clear the demon's speaking. He recognizes him. He acknowledges him. He not only knows who he is, he knows Jesus has authority and power over him. That's why he says, I beg you, do not torment me. He knows Jesus will be his judge. The man himself is again described as having been under guard, chained and shackled. And he was able because of the demons living within him to break those chains. And then of course, isolated because that's what the, the demons wanted to do. Keep him from human contact, keep him from human comforts, keep him from spiritual blessings. And so here's this man tormented, helpless, hopeless. Well, Jesus asked him saying, what is your name? Again, addressing the demons, not the man. And the demon responds. He says, legion, because many demons had entered him and they begged him. So first the demon begged him. Now the demons beg him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Nine times the word abyss, well, or the word translated abyss appears in the uh, New Testament. 
First time is here, translated abyss. In Romans, it's translated the deep. Seven times in the book of Revelation, it is translated the bottomless pit. So they know they're headed to the bottomless pit. By the way, and this is such an encouragement, Revelation chapter 20, don't go to it now, but make a mental note or jot it down and read it later. If you're unfamiliar with it, after the rapture of the church, after the resurrection of the dead and the rapture which follows and uh, the reunion we experience in heaven, we will return with the Lord and he will establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. It's called a millennium. Millennium just means a thousand, of course. So, so uh, here, here's what's happening. Some have suggested we're already there. Well, Satan was bound at the cross. The word of God is bound the deception. And, and so this is the glorious millennium. And I just like to declare today, if this is it, we've been ripped off because this is nothing like what the Bible describes as that, that millennial reign of Jesus. Once more, we're told that Satan will be bound. He will be chained. He will be sealed and he will be in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And here's the clincher. He tells us why, how we can know this isn't it and how we'll know when it is. Because he says that he could deceive the nations no more. So all you have to do is look around, ask the simple question. Are the nations being deceived? Absolutely. Our nation is deceived. The, the world nations are deceived. But in that day, everyone will know the Lord. It says no one will have to say know the Lord. We'll all know the Lord. And that day we'll all worship and we'll be worshiping the true and living God. Well, in any case, they're begging that he wouldn't judge them before the time, that he wouldn't command them to go into the abyss, to the deep, to the bottomless pit. Now a herd of swine was feeding there on the mountain, verse 32. So they begged him, third time, that he would permit them to enter him. Do you see this? The fact that they have to beg, that they have to beg, that they have to beg demonstrates that Jesus has control over demonic powers. And, and this is so important. The Bible says that, that all things, again, created by him and for him, those created things include Satan and all the other fallen angels that we know as demons. Were they always demons? No, they were created perfect. They were created to worship and love and serve God just as we have been. But Satan rebelled and took a third of them with him. So those that were created for God are now fighting against God in rebellion to God and trying to devastate everything loved by God, especially man who was created in the image of God. Well, they beg him that they could go into the swine. The demons went out of the man, entered the swine. The herd ran violently down to the steep place into the lake and drowned. It's just a reminder. The enemy comes to steal to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they might have a life and that more abundant. Well, when those who fed them saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what happened and they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had departed and listen to this description or read it with me, verse 35, sitting at the feet of Jesus, but not just sitting there before Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Listen, if the hopeless case is mental or if it's emotional or if it's spiritual or if well, whatever the case is, Jesus is able to restore. Jesus is able to transform. And that's what happens here is they came, they see a man transformed. Yes, he'd been hopeless, but once Jesus comes on the scene, hey, he doesn't just bring hope or a message of hope. He is our hope. 
Well, those also, verse 36, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. And the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. Now, this is a, a, a strange response, but I remembered, and some of you will as well, when Peter saw the first miracle as Jesus, um, you know, gave him this mighty catch of fish, Peter's response was, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And there's something about being in the presence of God, seeing the power and the glory of God that causes us naturally to shrink away. But listen, he's trying to draw us in. We are invited again and again and again. Come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come and drink of the waters of life freely. You who are uh, heavy laden and, and laboring and weary. He says, come to me, all who are heavy laden and weary, and, and I will give you rest. Well, he invites us in. They're asking him to leave. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him. So we've seen the demons three times. Now we see this totally new man, this restored person begging that he might be with him. Now, listen, all are called to testify and some are called to completely separate and follow. Jesus had chosen many disciples and he chose from those the 12 he called apostles. And in this guy's case, he doesn't say, yeah, come join, travel with us, you know, be a part. No, he says to him, and I think he'd say to us, Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things God had done or Jesus had done for him. I think that this is God's intention for every one of us. And not just, okay, I got saved because, well, for some of us, that's 30 years back. For some of you, well, that couldn't be because you're far this side of 30 years old. But the point is this. If the last thing that you can testify that God did for you was save you from your sin, then you're not really paying attention or something's really gone wrong in the process. He begins the day you surrender your life to transform you by the renewing of your mind into a person more like Jesus. And we should be able to look back at this last week, each and every one of us and say, look at what God has done for me. I want to testify of the great things that God has done for me. And there are many in this room right now who have such a testimony of God's faithfulness over the last year or weeks or months or days. And uh, I want to encourage you, his heart, his desire is that we would go to those who know us best and testify what great things God has done for us. Well, Rejected on this side of the Galilee, Jesus returns and on the other side, he gets a, well, a warm welcome. It was when Jesus returned, verse 40, the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him fifth time to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. It's another hopeless case. And this will be, well, one of the 13 healings that Luke records of the 20 healings that the Gospels record. But, but, but here, here's the picture and it's such an important one. 
um, th th there's a healing and there's going to be a resurrection. Well, in, in any case, because I'm jumping ahead to the woman, I'm thinking about her and we'll get to her in a second. The synagogue leaders, so important, um, highly regarded, greatly respected, honored, admired. This was a man who had everything going for him and his friends, his peers would have been shocked to see him at the feet of Jesus, begging Jesus to help him. But listen, there's something about life's real crises, not just the storm that we may or may not get through, but devastating news about our health or the health of our parents or our children or our, our, our you know, spouse or our friends or family extended there's something about getting that kind of devastating news as this man had 12 year old daughter, only child. And now, well, she's dying and he knows it and he knows there's nowhere to go. There's no hope anywhere else. This is another hopeless case. So he comes to Jesus and he humbles himself before Jesus and and he's not, hey, I'm someone important. He should come to me. No, he just has a need and he's he's on his face before the Lord, pleading with the Lord, begging the Lord to take care of his daughter. And Jesus starts to head toward the home with him. But as he went, we read, the multitudes thronged him and a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately the flow of her blood stopped. Now, remember, Luke's a doctor, and as he shares the seriousness of her situation, he's not slamming the medical community. He's just telling us that, that she had exhausted her resources, her finances completely, trying to find a cure. She'd been hemorrhaging, bleeding for 12 years. That would leave her physically exhausted. That would leave her physically anemic. But it would also, in that culture, because remember, this is a Jewish culture, leave her spiritually unclean. That's why she actually sneaks up on Jesus. If it had been one of the other religious leaders, a rabbi or a Pharisee, and they saw this woman coming, they would have ran across the street as fast as they can. It's, it's a bizarre thing. Even today in Israel, we had this experience. We're walking down the street one, one day and we're headed to a, a little meeting when we were in um, Jerusalem. And we see a rabbi coming up the street and he sees us and he just fast as he could cross the street lest by accident he bump into one of us and be defiled. See, to bump into a Gentile defiles you if you're a Jew. Well, that's the whole mindset. But even worse, somebody who's got this kind of a, an issue, an issue of blood, it's called in the old King James. Well, they just would not want this to happen. Well, she sneaks up, as it were, and, and she touches the Lord. She had said, the other gospel accounts make it clear, if I can touch that which is touching him, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be healed. So she finds her way to him. By the way, mentioned physically anemic and spiritually unclean, also socially isolated because that there's, you know, this is a serious issue for them. Well, Jesus says in verse 45, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, master, the multitudes throng and press you and you say, who touched me? It's like Peter saying, are you kidding? They're all touching you. Look around. We're in a mob of people here. And, and Jesus says, somebody touched me for I perceive power going out from me. 
Now, don't misunderstand this. It almost sounds like she just touched him and he's like, whoa, what happened? That's not what happened. No, he knew she was coming. It's not like he couldn't sense her. And, and listen, that power went out because he willed and allowed it to. It wasn't like anybody could get anything they wanted by coming in contact with Jesus. But somebody coming in faith, believing in him, trusting in him, putting their hope in him, Oh, they're going to be rewarded. Why? The, the scriptures are so clear in this area. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's her, you see. She believes that, that he's good and that he can heal. And she believes all she has to do is touch that which is touching him. And that will do the trick. And it works. And so Jesus calls her out as, as all of this happens. He says, the woman saw that she wasn't hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Now he doesn't call her out to accuse her. No, he calls her out so she has a chance to give her testimony. And we see this again and again and again. That, that those who saw the, the demon-possessed man freed and healed, well, they go testify and, and then the people who come, well, even though they're filled with fear, they're, they're going to tell the story. And then, well, Jesus tells him to go home and testify of the things that he had done, that God had done for him. So, so here we have this woman and he brings her out because he wants her to declare what God had done for her. And so she does. She testifies. But there's something else. He wants to assure her. He doesn't want her sneaking in and getting a healing and sneaking out and then wondering how he feels about all that, you see. And so in verse 48, he says to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So he calls her daughter. He says, be of good cheer. He says, your faith, it, it, it worked. It's made you well. So leave and go in peace. By the way, three things related to her faith and yours, if you're going to see that faith will accomplish anything. Faith is always active. Her faith moved her to move toward Jesus and reach out for a healing. Her faith was productive because it led to that healing. So active, productive, and, and again, the key, and it will always be the key, that faith, her faith, was in him and in him alone. Well, while he was speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Remember, he is on his way to heal or raise a little girl who is on the deathbed. And, and, and this delay has brought devastating news. The news, it's too late. It's like when Jesus comes to Mary and Martha, that story yet ahead, Lazarus has died. He intentionally stayed away and allowed him to die. And then when he comes, Mary says, if you'd been here, our brother would not have died. Martha meets with them and says, word for word, the same thing. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died or our brother would not have died. And, and here's the point. They believed, but they didn't really see how powerful the Lord was. Oh, yeah, he could heal the one who was dying, but he wants them to know he has power even after death. So when Jesus, well, when he heard it, verse 50, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. The news comes from others. Jesus doesn't address them. He turns to the father. Why? Because he knows the father will be devastated by this news. 
And I want to encourage you, wherever it happens and whenever it happens, when the news comes that devastates you, you want to turn and look for the Lord because his eyes will be on you. His heart will go out to you. He wants you to hear. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And in her case, he says, she will be made well. Well, he came to the house and permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, John and the father and mother of the little girl and all wept and mourned for her. But he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. Now, he uses a euphemism for dead, calling it sleep. Did he know that she was dead? Absolutely. Was she really dead? Yes. Well, why doesn't he say she's dead and I'm going to raise her? Because from his perspective, sleep, death, it, it, it really doesn't make any difference. He has the power to wake us. Lazarus will be in the grave four days before Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he hears the Lord and he comes out. So the reality is all who are in the graves will hear his voice and will come forth in the resurrection. And we who are alive and remain at the resurrection will be caught up in the rapture, joined with them, as I, I've shared so many times. We'll be in heaven together. We'll have a glorious reunion. We'll be casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Well, here it is. He brings his inner circle. He brings mom and dad. He's there with the little girl. The mourners are there and he says, hey, she's gonna be fine. She's just sleeping. They start mocking him. And I love his response. He just says, okay, you guys outside. That's just a, a great response. He's not like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to function in this environment. No, he just says, okay, you guys, you just don't belong in here. So he put him outside, took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, arise. His touch his word, and the little girl rose from the dead. Her spirit returned, we read in verse 55, and she arose immediately. He does the impossible, and then he follows with the oh-so-practical. He commanded that she be given something to eat, because apparently being dead takes a lot out of you. And uh, being raised from the dead, an appetite. And that's exciting to me because, you know, I'm an eater and I'm looking forward to eating in heaven. I know at least they have manna. That's angels food, right? So we'll see what else. But um, he commands that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished. And then he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is odd because in every other case, he's like, go tell him, go tell him, go tell him. He's like, keep this quiet. Why? It's because of where he is. It's because he's at his ministry base and he doesn't need any more crowds. They're coming anyway. He doesn't need any more press. He doesn't need any more chaos. The people are coming for hope and help, healing and help and, and all that's going to happen. But he's saying, you can keep this one quiet. Do you think they were able to? Do you think, I mean, that people were all mourning there. They're going to be like, She's really alive. He, he really, he, he, what did he do? He touched her. He spoke to her and she came back to life. Listen, Hebrews 11, one says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Already mentioned Hebrews 11.6. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Listen. We are surrounded by hopeless cases. Some of you may feel like a hopeless case today, but I want to tell you, Jesus doesn't just bring hope or a message of hope. He is our 
hope. And if you are or you know of a hopeless case, you bring it to Jesus, you trust in Jesus, and let Him do what's impossible for anyone else. When we consider the event of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, you have to realize that this is no everyday thing. Scripture gives us four examples of Jesus raising the dead. Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow of Nain, Lazarus, and of course himself. In doing this, Jesus is demonstrating his power over death. He raised the first three back to life to their mortal bodies and raised himself to life in his glorified eternal body. Fear of death for us is a normal thing. Yet one of the reasons I believe Jesus showed us these things is so that we could be set free of that fear. 1 Corinthians 15:55 asks the question, O oh death, where is your sting? O oh Hades, where is your victory? This victory over death means so many things to us, but one of those things is the victory it gives you and I over the fear of it. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.